Father, we ask for your wisdom to just fill us up as we get into the book of Hebrews chapter 12 again. We know that your wisdom is supreme, but with that wisdom, we pray that you would provide an abundance of understanding in order that our wisdom might grow. And this for the purposes of your kingdom, Lord. We struggle in this life, whether personally looking at ourselves and lifting ourselves up or satisfying the needs of the flesh. Or, Father, we have the ability to die to ourselves, live for you and for your kingdom and be a blessing to those who are around us. Help us to emulate the words that are written down in this chapter and pray that we would be steadfast in following through with them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we left off, I think it was in verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 12, but just by way of review, because there's a theme that's kind of running through this chapter, and he starts talking about running a race, throwing off everything that hinders us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and we're going for the distance. We're going for endurance. And when you're going for endurance in a race, you don't give all your energy right up front. You hold some back so that you can make it for the distance. You remain constant in your walk with Christ. By analogy, you want to make sure you're not taking on too much and overloading, and then you burn out. You take on exactly what you ask God for you to take on, that he would reveal that to you. And then you stay the course, even in the midst of opposition. When you start following Christ, you will suffer persecution in this life if you open your mouth. If you never say anything, then you are relegated to the sidelines. It's like you're a football player, but you're not in the game. And it's best to be in the game. We have been trained. We go through the uh, understanding process and the process of wisdom and waiting on the Lord and walking in the Spirit. And those things are conducive to us maintaining our stance in the face of opposition. We have an example of those that we went through who were faithful witnesses of God's promises in the last chapter. And when we encounter hardship in our walks, we are to consider it as discipline. Now, a note on this in relation to Las Vegas. As you go through the scriptures, you can see stories of things that people were doing And what happened is they were tripped up. They were tripped up in some way because something was going on. And then in Hebrews, as we just went through, when the trial would come or the difficulty would be there, they immediately went into self-examination and didn't play the blame game. Like, for instance, the sin of Achan. Now, Achan was accused of keeping some of the sacred things for himself, and he buried them in his tent. And as a result, when the Israelites went out to fight a war, they lost. And they came back, and they cried out to the Lord, said, Lord, what did we do as a people? And it was one guy who did something that he wasn't supposed to do. And so the whole community of the Israelites was hindered in that. And so they repented They ask for God's forgiveness. When the Puritans came over, every single colony that they tried to set up that was geared towards themselves failed until the one colony that they decided, we're going to do this for God, we're not going to do this for ourselves. And whenever something came up, if there was a loss of crops, if there was an attack or something, they turned to God and they said, God, what is it that we're not doing that we should be doing because this calamity has come upon us? 
And scripture tells us in Hebrews, as I was just mentioning, that we're to consider all hardship as discipline. And so when we look at Las Vegas, we don't have to look at this murderer and say, what did this murderer do? How dare he take the lives of innocents? And of course, that is all true. But it's better for us as a country to look at ourselves and say, God, why is your hand of protection removed from us? That these things are happening. Where have we gone? Have we gone so far away that we're not paying attention to your statutes, to your word, to your uh, commandment to be a disciple? Are, are we doing all those things, getting away from you, and therefore these calamities are coming? You know, and some people say, well, the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the volcanoes and the shootings, and it's, it's just bad. Well, it is bad. Is it more than before? No, it's not more than before. Does it mean the end's right around the corner? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean the end is right around the corner, but we look to those things and we say, you know what, what's the deal? Well, we're supposed to look inward. As individuals and as a country, we're supposed to say, God, we have gotten away from you, and we're not supposed to do that because your hand of protection on our country, and believe you me, if you read history, what has taken place in this country, it is by divine purpose and intervention that this country was even set up because what they did and how they trusted God. And so some would argue against that, but it is without debate. The rest of the world looks at the United States as a Christian country, especially the Muslim countries. Remember, I've told you about this first Saturday, then Sunday is their motto. First, the Jews who have the Sabbath on Saturday, then it's the Christians who have their quote-unquote Sabbath on Sunday. And so it's incumbent upon us when we see a tragedy like this take place, that we do an inward reflection. No question there is evil. No question that justice must be imposed. No question that we must extend mercy and grace to those who are suffering and pray for those who have lost loved ones. All of that is absolutely true. But as a country, as individuals, we need to say, God, what is it that I'm not doing? What is it that we are not doing? When you get to... Ezra and Nehemiah and you read about these guys these one was a cupbearer and the other one was a priest and how they repented for the whole country and Daniel as well all these guys in the Old Testament when there was a calamity they turned inward and towards the country so that's what we're supposed to do when we consider hardship or trials that come along we're to look at them as discipline and discipline is always meant to draw us closer to God it perfects us And hardship is a normal part of the Christian life. Now in verse 14, it talked about peace and holiness and grace and bitterness and then on to sexual immorality. We'll pick it up in 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. And peace means that we are simply not argumentative. We don't look for the arguments that are around us. We want to be the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what uh, Matthew chapter 5 says. And then there's holiness. God has called us to holiness, and without holiness, no one will see God. Verse 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And of course, this idea of missing the grace of God, and I talked about this last week, when we refuse to send grace in the direction of somebody else who has wronged us, there is bitterness that is on the inside, and God calls us to die to ourselves and extend that grace and do not let that root of bitterness 
take hold inside of our hearts. If we do, it even tells us in Scripture that it causes trouble and defiles many. And, of course, you know, Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. And that means everything. But what about, no, everything. But I had bad food at the, no, everything. No complaining at all. Now, it doesn't mean if you got some bad food, you don't ask him to take it back. You know, can I get this? You know, you do something like that. You don't sit there and go, I will never come back to this restaurant. How do you never get a tip from me? I can't believe it. And you just go on and on. No, the scripture says, don't do it. If you have an issue, deal with the issue, but don't sit and let a root of bitterness come on the inside. And I'm not just talking about restaurants. I'm talking about us and our relationships. I can't believe they said that about me. Really? Just wait. I'm sure there's more coming. You know, and we're not supposed to allow that bitterness to come in and and be so offended. Just expect it. There's going to be that diatribe that takes place. If you have two people, there's going to be three opinions, and two of them are going to be against you. You know, and we have to live in such a way to expect that. And if we do, we'll be better people because of it. It's kind of like that Teflon factor. Nothing sticks to Teflon. But when the Teflon's gone, you have a stained pan and it's no good for anything. You just throw it out. Let's go get another one over at Walmart and we'll start using that. Well, what about us? If our Teflon is gone and the Teflon is the Holy Spirit who guides us, you know, you're not walking in the Spirit if you let that bitterness take place. Just walk in the Spirit and that stuff will hit you and it'll just slough right off. You won't have to worry about it and you can walk in peace in the grace of God. So that bitterness, it's resentment, it's animosity, and it's hostility. Now, verse 16 says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring about, or he could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. And so again, holiness, remember, that there are blessings reserved only for the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who are holy will see God. Now, God, admittedly, he's the one that makes us holy. He's the one that justifies us. And in justification, that's where God says, you are declared right, just like in a court of law. It's a legal term. You have been justified in the eyes of God because you have accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And so that is all good. We're being justified and we need that pure heart, but it is incumbent upon us to be sanctified. Sanctification is something God does and something we do. We set ourselves apart from the world as well as God sets us apart from the world for his purposes. So it's a dual uh, road, so to speak. God's wa- walking right with us, and he wants us to be set apart, and that is our responsibility. But this idea of sexual immorality, how many letters now do they have beti- behind the L-B-G-T-Q-R-S-T-U-V-W? 26, thank you. There are 26 letters. And, you know, I actually had it on my last message. I was going to read through that. I, I can't believe what they're classifying. The only one that's not in there is heterosexuality. All these other ones are in there, but that one's not because I guess that's the dominant one. Hello, that's why we have a population. 
you know, this idea that there are men and women and God created them male and female and they're to leave and cleave to one another. And that's what scripture says. But everything is becoming permissible. Now, I will tell you this as well. When, when AIDS was coming up, I, I have a file. It's about this big on when AIDS first started to get rolling through the United States and through the world. And there, were, there was a, one doctor, Dr. Lorraine Day, and she was a, she's a doctor that cuts on bones. What do they call that? I want to say an anesthesiologist or orthopedic surgeon, I think is what she is. And she was wearing a full-blown moon suit because she'd start cutting on the bones and there'd be dust flying, you know, and you can get all of that. And so she wrote a book about that. Then they say it's an epidemic and it's going to cross over into the heterosexual population. And it didn't. They said it's going to hit 250 million people and it didn't. And it was a result of a particular behavior. And if the behavior would stop, the disease would stop. There's a new one that is out there that they don't want to admit is caused by homosexual behavior. And that is cancer. And I, I want to be delicate what kind of cancer it is. It's caused by the uh, papilloma virus. It's causing cancer in homosexual male, males in the nether regions. Can I say it like that? And it's an epidemic. But they don't want to report it as such. It was in the Los Angeles Times. And they said it's the next big one that this virus is spreading. And women can get this as well. It causes cervical cancer. But and some women are also getting the same type of cancer. And it was never meant to be. But if the behavior would stop, the cancer would stop. But the world says, no, we want to be able to live in such a way where we can do whatever we want. And anybody who opposes us is a group filled with hate. And so that all surrounds the sexual immorality. God says, just be pure in that. Now, I will say this. There is not one single person in here who is pure in that unless you are an infant. Every one of us in here at some time has committed some sin in this direction. And the Bible, when it starts mentioning this, it mentions it first in all cases except for one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, it says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And the first one is, neither the sexually immoral. Galatians 5, 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Ephesians 5, 3, but among you there must not be a hint of sexual immorality. Because that is the sin that plagues all of humankind. And none of us are immune from it. And then Revelation 22, there is only one that precedes that. In verse 15 it says, Outside are dogs, those who practice magic arts. The sexually immoral is the second one. And why is that? The magic arts, the word in the Greek is pharmakia, where we get pharmacy, which stands for drugs. The drug use Apparently, in the book of Revelation, it's almost like, wow, that is the preeminent thing around all the world. And it is. It, it's a difficult problem that has to be dealt with. And people are dying because of it. I don't know if you guys have been keeping up on the news, but all the drugs that are coming across the border, the ones that are 
about 100 times stronger than fentanyl. There's another one that is out there, and it's just snowballing, and people are dying. There was one corner, uh, corner in one community that, di- that died. He quit because there were so many deaths coming through because of the overdoses in the drugs. He just couldn't take it anymore. And, of course, Ephesians 5.11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And so when we see this taking place, the sexual immorality in our country, we just need to collectively turn to God and say, God, help us uh, to be pure and holy. But then also in this particular passage, it talks about Esau. Whenever it does something like that, it grabs something from the Old Testament and brings it to the New Testament. You're supposed to go back to the Old Testament and look at Esau. He sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. Is what some chili? Actually, it's probably lentils. But he, that's what he goes. Okay, you can have my inheritance. Just give me food. What does it profit me if I die? Is what Esau told his brother Jacob. And Jacob, little stingy Jacob, I'm not going to give you any until you give me your birthright. What? Okay, fine. Just have it. And that's how he lost his birthright. But. What is it with this birthright? And this is what it's meant for us to look back on. Now, remember, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. And the Hebrews are supposed to be looking back, as we have done through the entire book so far, looking back in their history. And if they look back in their history, they will understand what they're doing now and why they should follow Jesus Christ. Well, as the Jews, where did the gospel go first to? It went to the Jews first. It's like they have the birthright. The blessing comes to them first. Scripture even says this. It says in Romans chapter 116, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And what's being warned of here is that these Hebrews are saying, I don't want it anymore. They're taking their birthright, the blessing of the gospel coming to them first, and just throwing it away like Esau. For a bowl of porridge, and for whatever it is they want to do, return to the Old Testament sacrificial system. And basically he's saying, it's worth a bowl of beans, or it's not worth a hill of beans, what you guys are proposing to do. And they're walking away from this blessing. And that's why the author of Hebrews wanted to focus on Esau. And he was godless. He didn't want anything to do with God, apparently. He was just more worried about the flesh and feeding the flesh. He wanted to satisfy his hunger. This, this rite in the Old Testament is called the rite of primogenitor. It's where the firstborn is the one who gets the blessing. And just as Esau threw away the blessing... The Hebrews are throwing, are in danger of throwing away this blessing. This is not the only time in Scripture where the history is supposed to be recalled, where God wants us to look back at the history to find out where we are now. If you remember, in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7, you had Stephen. And Stephen was out there, and he's given the gospel, and we know he was eventually stoned, but when he was brought before the Sanhedrin, he gave them a history lesson. He starts with Abraham. He goes, first there was Abraham. Then we had the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, 
Jacob, and then we had Joseph. And then after Joseph, we know that the Israelites went into captivity, and you had Moses. Moses was there, and Stephen's talking about all this, and then he goes on and talks about Aaron, the priest. And he mentions this in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. And so he's standing there like on trial. And then he turns to the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and he goes, You brood of... No, he doesn't say you brood of vipers. What is it? You stiff-necked people. And the ones he's given the history lesson to, they should know. It's like us as believers. We should know what God has in store for us, where he has started and where we are now. And because of that, we should... or take hold of that blessing he has given to us and move forward just like he's encouraging the Hebrews to do just like he gives them that history lesson as he has done throughout all of Hebrews that's why it's so important that we know the Old Testament that we know the stories of the Old Testament how did we get here today being Christians having a church meeting on Sunday what did God do to bring this about it took centuries to do this And sometimes we just say, I don't need to know that stuff. Just tell me how I can live. God wants more from us. Remember last week I said he wants more than Sundays and Wednesday nights. He wants our entire heart. You know, when I was talking to Omar yesterday, and, you know, he still has some questions about Jesus being God and the Father's God and the Holy. I'm not quite sure about that. I said, I know, and we can work on that. We can get through that. And, and. I said, you know, in the New Testament, there are things that we're supposed to do too. Things on the outside. You know, like we're supposed to participate in receiving bab- or doing baptism, getting baptized, and also receiving communion. We're supposed to do those things. And we talked about the Jews in the Old Testament, how they had to shut down everything on the Sabbath, which was Saturday, the day that I was talking to them. And I talked about my experience in Israel with them, how they just shut down roads and everything. And if you drive down certain communities, you could be stoned if you're in a car. And I'm not talking about with the old Mary Jane. I'm talking about with real rocks. They will stone you inside the car if you're going through one of these communities. And he goes, no. I said, yes, that's true. I said, but you were the same way, right? He goes, oh, no. I said, well, what about the five pillars of Islam that you have to go in the Hajj, you have to pray? He goes, oh, no, there's some exceptions to that. He goes, like, if you're sick, you don't have to pray. I said, yeah, but if you're well, if you don't pray, what happens? He goes, oh, that's not good. No, it's not. You don't make it. You don't maybe make it anyhow, but you really don't make it if you do that. I said, Christ is not like that. It's the only religion where we don't have to do to get saved. I said, all the rest of them, You have to do, you have to perform. And I told, I was explaining to him, it's about the gift of God. You don't have to worry about that. We can, we can walk away from these rituals. And I, the ultimate point I made with him is God doesn't want the outward. He wants the inward. He wants our heart. He wants our very motivation. He wants our soul because this body is going to be destroyed and all the works of our hands thereof unless they are done for God and his kingdom. And he turned to me and he goes, yes, this is true. That's what God wants. He wants our heart. And okay, we're making real connections here. You know, we're, we're moving along and that's what we're supposed to communicate to others. And then there's this final warning, a reflection on Jewish history again. Verse 18 says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire 
to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. And that's a quote from the Old Testament. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And when you see something like this, you go back to the Old Testament. What is he talking about? Exodus chapter 20 in verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And so the author here is saying, you have not come to this mountain where you're so fearful that you're shaking and you want to get away from it and let God speak to you, but you have come to a new Jerusalem, to heaven. And he goes on to explain it. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. And that refers to heaven, our, our place that we're going to. It also is a place in uh, Israel, but that's metaphorically speaking to the reality which is in heaven. To the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You can see at this point as this writer, if you get into the spirit of what's being written here, First, you have not come to this mountain that you fear, but you have come to this glorious new city in Jesus Christ and the blood that speaks of a better... He's getting all excited. Now, you don't have the exclamation points in here, but you can tell he's just... Man, he's just writing this. What are you so fearful of? Don't go to that Old Testament religion. Stick with the New Testament and Jesus Christ. Yeah, you need to know the Old Testament because this is how you got here. And so he reminds us. Now, stop right here. You have a history. I have a history. Where were you? I mean, if you go through your history, where you were. Now, we started out and our cognitive life began a little bit before kindergarten, right? But you got to kindergarten. You probably remember something about kindergarten. I remember the tricycles and Mrs. Gustafson, right? It was just a great time, just wonderful time. Then I got Mrs. Moen, the teacher from H-E Double Toothpicks. It was a terrible environment. Then it was Mrs. Hess. Then it was Mrs. Kellogg. Then it was Mrs. Mayo. And all the way to sixth grade, and it was Mrs. Stewart. And then I went to junior high. We had junior high back then. Then to high school, and then to college. You went through all of that, and then got saved. You got saved at some time, too. What were you like when you got saved? Were you the worst of sinners? Or do you say, I wasn't so bad? <laughs> really? How do you think God looked at each one of us? You are so bad. You need to be saved. And so we have this history. Now we should be able to look at right before we got saved to where we are now. And before you got saved, you were coming to a mountain with fearful expectations expectation and you did not want to hear the judgment of God lest you die but now walking in the newness of life with Jesus Christ you get the new Jerusalem the heavenly city that Jesus Christ who is a mediator of the new covenant which is a better thing which is here and we should get kind of excited about that 
But if we're walking around like, oh, woe is me, I'm going through so many troubles. That may be true, but we have this heavenly host that is waiting for us, the angels. You know, they're going to bust out and sing in when you walk through, hallelujah. And you're going to walk through and they're going to mention your name and they're going to pat you on the back and their wings are going to be fluttering and they're all around you as you walk up and Jesus Christ is going to calm down. He's going to, how are you? You've seen those pictures he's hugging. I guess that's going to happen i don't know but he's going to make you feel like that at least that's what we're looking forward to why would we go back to the ways of the world the things that are there they do not satisfy at all you might think they do temporarily it's like uh, proverbs talks about red red wine you look at it it sparkles in the glass all the aroma that's there and you sip it a nice merlot or chardonnay something like that but in the end what happens it bites like a snake Oh, my head. Oh, they hit me and I did not feel it. See, I'm not hurt. Let me wake up and go get another drink. That's the book of Proverbs is what it talks about. And yet some people will return to that to the point of alcoholism. And so we, we need to make sure that we're walking in a balanced life with God, knowing where we're going, having our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, doing with endurance and forethought and intention. One commentator put it like this. Mount Sinai was marked by fear and terror. Mount Zion is a place of love and forgiveness. Mount Sinai is in the desert. Mount Zion Zion is the city of the living God. Mount Sinai spoke of earthly things. Mount Zion speaks of heavenly things. At Mount Sinai, only Moses was allowed to draw near to God. At Mount Zion, an innumerable company and general assembly is invited to draw near. Mount Sinai was characterized by guilty men in fear. Mount Sinai features just men made perfect at mount sinai moses was the mediator at mount zion jesus is the mediator mount sinai brings an old covenant which was ratified by the blood of animals mount zion brings a new covenant which is ratified by the blood of god's precious son so you see what god is trying to communicate here it's like Forgetting what is behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. We're supposed to, that's my old life, and you start moving forward. And you're maturing, and you're being that disciple, and you're reaching out to those who need that salvation. And so that's the final warning that is delivered here of denying. It's from chapter 12, verses 15 through 19, the final verses here. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven at that time his voice shook the earth but now he has promised once more i will shake not only the earth but also the heavens the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. How about that? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to worship God with reverence and awe in an acceptable fashion. And by the way, that includes your entire Christian walk. That doesn't mean just singing with reverence and awe. That means walking the walk with forethought, determination, reverence, awe, acceptability in the eyes of God, and finally, thankfulness. We're to be thankful. When we're walking down the road, you know, uh, well, let me finish with this. 
the memorial yesterday. I walked out and I kissed my wife. And it was a longer kiss. And I I gave my daughters both hugs, the ones that were there. Because we never know our time. We never know it could just end in a flash. But we have this hope, the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this letter. And even though we have one more chapter to go, we know that you have great things in store for us. And we eagerly expect you to move. We just ask, Lord, that you would motivate us from the inside. May your spirit push us and may we be willing to be pushed. May you open up new doors, new avenues. May we remain excited about the things you have given to us and may we be thankfully praying constantly for your will to be done and may we bring comfort to others. In Jesus' name, amen.